0: Hello, this is Monica Reinagel. Welcome to the Nutrition Diva podcast. This week, we're talking about the phenomenon of weight loss resistance and whether this is something that really exists. And joining me to talk about this is special guest, Dr. Yanni Friedhoff. He's the author of The Diet Fix, and he has a terrific blog at weightymatters.ca for Canada, weightymatters.ca. Most of us who counsel people on weight management eventually run into overweight people who seem to be unable to lose weight even when they do everything right. They monitor their calorie intake or their Weight Watchers points very diligently. They're exercising every day. And according to all the formulas and calculators, they should be losing weight, and yet they don't. Are some people just resistant to weight loss? Well, as I said, my guest today is Dr. Yoni Friedhoff, someone that you have heard me reference and quote numerous times over the past years. Dr. Friedhoff is the founder of the Bariatric Medical Institute in Ottawa, Canada. That's a non-surgical evidence-based nutrition and weight management center. And he's also the author of a terrific book called The Diet Fix, which aims to help people stop dieting and get them on a path to sustainable weight loss. And finally, he also blogs over at weightymatters.ca. And if you don't already follow Dr. Friedhoff's blog or his social media feeds, I highly recommend them. So, uh, Yanni, you're a physician who specializes in weight loss. Do you see people in your practice who just can't lose weight even when they seem to be doing everything right?
1: Well, there's no question that most people don't lose as much weight or uh, lose weight as quickly as they hope or expect to. And there's also no doubt that I think anybody involved in counseling capable of weight management will see people struggle to lose weight despite reporting that they're doing absolutely everything within their power uh, to do so. So yes, I do think it's a very common issue to hear from people that you know on paper they should be losing, but mm-hmm. the scale says no.
0: Well, I noticed that you said despite reporting that they're doing everything by the book. So how often in these cases does it turn out that they actually are eating more or maybe burning fewer calories than they think, or maybe even than they're admitting?
1: Well, I think it is the most common scenario that you know the, the math is there. Unfortunately, there is no way around that, but we sometimes forget about the world we live in when we're discussing weight management, we, we live in a very hypercaloric food environment. There's hyperpalatable, palatable, energy-dense food that's being thrust at us wherever we go. And we have eyes that are designed to catch moving objects, not designed to measure them. And so we have <laughs> terrible measuring tools that are built in. And despite our best intentions, we're poor historians, all of us. I mean, even studies that have examined the ability of professionals, including registered dietitians, to accurately record what they're taking in and then comparing what there's, what's being reported with uh, the use of more objective measures like doubly labeled water, what we find is that people underestimate. And they underestimate quite a lot. Uh, if you're trying very, very hard, you know, perhaps that underestimation will be lower. Uh, but it would seem that overestimation is not a problem that we as a species have. <laughs> Uh, And (laughs) it would also seem that people with overweight and obesity, and especially younger people, adolescents with overweight and obesity, uh, they are among the worst of the food historians, according to the Mm -hmm. studies that have been done. Uh, With adolescents with obesity, you know, having, uh, I've read one study that suggested that they underestimate by as much as 50%. And so, yeah, we, we really aren't good at it. And so it's not that someone is trying to pull a fast one on themselves or or on the person who's perhaps counseling them around nutrition or weight management. It's just that we don't realize that we're doing it and it's not with any ill intent. It's just that it's a very challenging thing to do to accurately measure. And it becomes doubly so when we're talking about a world and a society that uses a lot of restaurants, much more so than they used to. Where there, yes, you might know the main ingredients of the dish, but certainly not the actual recipe and, and how it was put together.
0: Well, that's a good point. I mean, even our grocery stores are increasingly turning into restaurants where you go in and you buy not ingredients to prepare a meal, but an entirely prepared meal. So that that challenge is following us even into our grocery stores. And it's, you know, it's ironic that you say that we're very poor food historians because, you know, so many people are using apps to to try to be more accurate about measuring their food and their activity. And, you know, there's a related phenomenon uh, that I've talked about in previous podcasts where people are using activity trackers or Fitbits or, or whatever to, to track the number of calories that they're burning through exercise and vastly overestimating, or you know, sometimes just their devices are overestimating the number of calories that they're burning. And so as a result, they feel like they should be allowed to have more calories in their weight management program, and, and the math doesn't seem to be adding up, but it could be that they are overestimating the number of calories that they're burning.
1: Oh, for sure. They do that. And, you know, so we actually, in our office, explicitly ask people not to enter in the calories or the exercises they're doing to their food diaries. And we explicitly tell people not to tie their Fitbits because you can uh, put a change a setting so that it automatically downloads into your fitness pal. Because then it appears as if you've suddenly got this massive surplus of calories you can drop on. Right. And when I, you speak to, uh, to the treadmills and the accuracy therein, I remember when I was writing my book, I interviewed uh, Alex Hutchinson, who's both a physicist and a journalist and a distance runner. And we were talking about the accuracy of machines. And he pointed out that there's a few very clear and glaring errors with the treadmills. One is that the number that they use does not subtract the number of calories you'd burn if you weren't on the treadmill. So exactly. It, it, but the other issue that, that he pointed out was that it doesn't know what your gait looks like. And there's a big difference in the calories burnt uh, running versus jogging versus speed walking versus walking for the same amount of time. He was under the impression that the formulas that many of the various devices treadmills gym devices use, uh, were based on the one that would give the biggest readout of calories. And that makes sense from a, you know, wanting to sell treadmills and get a gym <laughs> membership perspective because yeah. that's what you're, you know, a lot of people, sadly, they're not exercising for health, which is what it really is for. Right. They are exercising to try to burn calories and they they get duped into believing they've burned far more than they actually did.
0: Absolutely. And I've given the exact same advice. Um, You know, if you want to use your Fitbit to make sure that you're getting your 10,000 steps, that's great. But uncouple it from your food diary. Those two really don't belong in conversation with one another. So in those cases where you know, this idea that maybe I'm resistant to weight loss, if it's really just a matter of me not keeping good records about what I'm eating or not doing a good job estimating my portion sizes or maybe forgetting to log certain things that I'm eating, what's the solution to that?
1: So I call it a science experiment. You know, we can do anything for a short period of time. And a science experiment would be where a person used the, all the measuring tools, you know, the scales, the spoons, and the cups. They used a real-time food diary. They completely avoided restaurants uh, and purchased foods for a minimum of a couple of weeks. And really, if someone could open a window on their lives, they would uh, think that this person had lost their marbles with the amount of time and effort they were spending on trying to figure out what was going into themselves. But just as a guide to see what's going on, and part of this actually stemmed from a personal experience. Uh, I had a slipped disc. This is a number of years ago. Uh, and I was totally incapacitated physically, and I was keeping a food diary, and I, I had to reduce the number of calories I was aiming at because I didn't want to gain weight. And yet I still gained weight. I gained I think it was in the neighborhood of six pounds in seven weeks. It was not insignificant.: Oh my goodness. And, uh, and so I wanted to figure out what was happening because I knew that clearly there was more going in than I thought. And when I actually was much more careful, because I hadn't been weighing and measuring, I was just using my eyeballs. Um, I discovered that even just from my snacking throughout the day, it was orange season. So I was having those giant oranges that were larger than grapefruits. uh, And I was having a handful of nuts. That was each snack was an orange and some nuts. Uh, When I figured out the calories I was missing just on the snacks, it was nearly the calories of a Mars bar. Uh, When I then also looked into the condiments, to the oils, to what I was actually pouring in my scotch glass at night, Um, there was a lot more than I thought. And here was, a—I was a guy who, this was my career. This is something I do. I'm a professional. Um, I was keeping a food diary. I was being careful. And yet I was missing a ton on my own. And so sometimes when we give this uh, to to patients to try, sometimes they do come back and say, holy, we we found a a whole bunch of stuff that we didn't realize was there. Sometimes though, sometimes there's still a mystery. They come back and everything still looks like at least on paper they're not consuming all that much
0: well yeah and before we get to that i just want to say so so that sounds like it would be a very illuminating science experiment but but probably not sustainable we can't walk around with a scale and no. our you know cups and stay out of restaurants for the rest of our lives but you find that even just that sort of consciousness raising experiment for a couple of weeks is enough to uh, it's
1: certainly illuminating right uh-huh. and you know, what you might come to determine is that there are particular food items in your life that you probably aren't safe measuring with your eyes and there uh, are others that you're great at. So mm-hmm. I can cut off 30 grams of cheese, plus or minus a gram every single time without measuring anything. Uh, but if you ask me to measure olive oil without using a tablespoon, I just can't do that.
0: So you figure out where your where your gaps are and then you can kind of concentrate your efforts there. That's right. Well, you know... Um, I have though you just kind of alluded to this uh, before that I think that that would uh, solve a lot of mysteries if people were to do that little science experiment and see where those gaps were and and hopefully hearing a story about how somebody who does this for a living could even fall into that trap will will make that seem a little bit more plausible but but I have worked with people every once in a while who who are literally weighing every single thing that goes into their mouth for months at a time because that's how desperate they've gotten to find the mystery. And when I look at their records and I see what they weigh now and what they're taking in for calories, they really should be losing weight or losing it faster than they are. So, Yanni, sometimes when people are convinced that they are weight loss resistant, it turns out that they might be taking in more calories than they think. But what about these people who really are being very strict, doing exactly what we tell them and not getting the results that we would expect?
1: Well, I mean, the, the, the thing is, is that people do lose weight at very different rates, but we aren't magical creatures. You know, if there is a deficit, there will be a loss. Uh, but it is important to note that, that there will be some people who seem to lose weight uh, at a you know a very unfair pace and vice versa. And we all know those people, the people who can gain weight looking at food versus the people who can snap their fingers and lose weight. Uh, and so then what's going the, on there? The flip side of the coin. So it's not entirely clear. So in terms of uh, there's two parts to the equation, right? So there's the energy intake, but then there's also the energy output. And here I'm not talking about exercise, I'm talking about resting energy expenditure. And so in my office, we actually measure the resting energy expenditure of each and every patient. So we use an indirect calorimeter in the office, uh, which is the gold standard means to measure outside of you know research style, uh, direct calorimetry, which is very unwieldy. And um, so I'd say at this point in time over the course of the past 14 years, probably we've measured at least... 5,000 people's resting energy expenditure, and I'd say one to two percent of people are burning much less than we might expect them to burn based off of their age, weight, height, and sex, and body composition. Uh, with some people burning as many as 25 percent fewer calories than we would have predicted, we actually had a dietitian working for us for years, who uh, she herself was extremely active, doing half Ironmans, uh, but. Every time we measured her metabolism, despite huge amounts of activity and being a young woman, uh, she was burning in the neighborhood of 20, 21% less than we would have predicted. And so those people might be people who are doing everything right on paper, and then they might be called weight loss resistant. But the fact of the matter is they just burn fewer calories than would be fair and certainly fewer than would be predicted by all of the various equations that say this many calories ought to lead that person to weight loss.
0: Well, that must be a very discouraging fact to discover, but at some, at some level maybe validating you know let's see there really is something going on here. but you know, what sorts of things might lead to someone having that dramatic uh, lower meta- metabolic rate than we would expect? What goes into that? There could be many things,
1: so the genetics of metabolism, body composition related to yo-yo dieting, because certainly when we lose quickly and then we gain our weight back. Uh, Larger percentage of our loss is muscle, and then a larger percentage of our gain is fat. Maybe the microbiome's involved. But I don't think anybody particularly knows. Uh, ultimately, we're a black box. Food goes in the top and comes out the bottom, but the in-between is very different. <laughs> and uh, you know, the other thing to remember is the phenomena of metabolic adaptation. So if we're talking about patients who are weight loss resistant after having already lost a great deal of weight they may have uh, adapted to that weight loss, whereby bodies don't particularly seem to like weight loss, for lack of a whatever, better way to put it. And they, uh, bodies, do things to try to preserve what's left because sure. clearly they're a threat to the environment. And that metabolic adaptation at times is really quite dramatic. If you remember with the, the very public Biggest Loser study, uh, what they found with the contestants from the Biggest Loser was that not only did they slow down, but they slowed down much further than would have been predicted by their their actual weight loss. so mm-hmm. something was going on with those people that led to an even greater slowing and that may make people feel weight loss resistant when really they're just slower
0: right. The math is still working, but certainly not in their favor and um, and the other you know surprising thing about the the so-called biggest loser study is how long that adaptation persisted up to you know two or three years after the the weight loss. Uh, that still seemed to be in force um, and and of course, you know this is yet another argument against fast weight loss. Um, you know, dieting is counterproductive, as you and I both believe, and extreme dieting is extremely counterproductive <laughs> but, well,
1: certainly, dieting in the biggest loser style would be very sure. counterproductive. I would argue that we don't yet know what it was about that was it the the speed of the weight loss or was it the depth of the weight loss mm. because the amount that they lost, there was one good comparison group, and that was patients who'd had bariatric surgery. But the question that we need to answer, which we don't have the answer, is would losing slowly non-surgically lead to the same outcomes? And the fact is we don't have data on groups like that because it's so rare that somebody (laughs) non-surgically loses 50% of their body weight, right? It's it's just without an extreme effort like a biggest loser.
0: Sure. Well, um, I'm, I'm in the process of collecting some of that data, so maybe we'll have some soon. It's also interesting what you um, uh, what you mentioned about the microbiome. Certainly, that's the hot topic right now, and there are some tantalizing leads in that direction. That that could be maybe not the entire explanation, but part of the explanation, and and might offer you know an, an opportunity to to intervene. Which sort of brings me to my final question for you, and that is is there anything that we could do to help these unlucky people um, who have a sort of abnormally low metabolism boost that metabolism?
1: So uh, not a huge amount of hope, sadly, in my experience. You know, that's not to say that a person can't improve their situation. It's just that I'm not aware of any products, potions, or exercises that will suddenly turn somebody from uh, a slower metabolism to normal or fast. Uh, The other thing to remember is that again, as people are losing weight, it's expected that metabolism will continue to slow. So we're always behind when it comes to metabolism and losing weight. Uh, However, and I don't want to be totally doom and gloom, um, (laughs) regular exercise does burn calories, usually not enough to have a dramatic impact by itself on weight, um, but definitely it does burn calories. The issue about exercise for many people including me at, at times in my life, is it becomes cyclical. We, you know, we bite off more than we can chew, and we stop exercising, whether it's because we're too busy or we become injured or we just can't stomach the, the, the time anymore. But all this to say that the most important piece of exercising is consistency, mm-hmm. both in terms of building lean tissue and cardiovascular fitness, but also as far as if you're trying to buffer out a slower metabolism, If you consistently burn a couple hundred calories a day, well, that will buffer out the sort of expected uh, difference that that we saw in someone's resting energy expenditure. And so, you know, I, I do think that there is something that people can do, and that's consistent exercise. And I think the other thing, of course, is reframing, where, you know, the goal in all of this is never really or shouldn't really be a weight goal in the sense that, you know, whatever weight you get to, if you're living the healthiest life, you can honestly enjoy it. It's your best weight. It's a great weight. And I don't think that there is anything, uh, you know, I think the most important thing for people is to appreciate that we're not all going to get exactly where we want to go, but that doesn't mean where we've gone isn't a great place. And until society stops using the scale to measure health, happiness, success, or effort, um, I think that people will struggle with that. But you know, the benefits of healthy living at any weight are tremendous, uh, valuable, and, and worth sustaining. It would just be such a shame for somebody to stop simply because they couldn't get another 5, 10, or whatever number of pounds off when they had benefit from what they were doing in the first place.
0: Absolutely. Well, that seems like a, a great place to, to leave this. And I want to thank you so much for your contributions and, um, uh, and for weighing in on this topic, as it were, on this weighty matter. And for more of Dr. Friedhoff's advice on sustainable weight loss and living the healthiest life that you can enjoy living, uh, please do check out his book, The Diet Fix, and his blog over at weightymatters.ca. And if you'd like to discuss this week's episode, uh, we'd both be interested to hear what you have to say. You can post your comments or questions on our website at quickanddirtytips.com or on the Nutrition Diva Facebook page. Thanks as always for listening and have a great week.